Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your new host, Alex Kamenorkas, and as of today, I can say that I'm Autosport's new Grand Prix editor. Aware that we've got some uh, pretty big shoes to fill, but I'm looking forward to seeing what 2020 brings. Now, for this week's edition of the podcast, we're, we're going to have a little chat looking ahead to the upcoming F1 launches. We've got about a week to wait until we finally get to see what the team's been working on over the winter, or at least what they're going to let us see. Maybe they don't want to reveal all their tricks at once. So, joining me for this uh, special chat, the first of... Uh, the new year. We've got Jonathan Noble, motorsport.com F1 editor. Welcome, John. How are you doing? Very good, thank you, and congratulations on the uh, the new thing. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Good, good, good year coming up, I think. Quite exciting. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. But yes, no, very exciting indeed. And uh, also joining me, Jake Boxall Leg, Autosports technical editor. For me, this isn't any different because we've done a few Formula E ones now. We have, yes. Are you going to be able to talk about Formula One? Uh, yeah, I think as long as I, as long as I get used to the noise, I'll be all right. So we'll see how it goes. Anyway, at least there's no pun title for this one that we can constantly mock you for. It's a bit of a shame. Not yet. But there we go. As I said, about a week away from finally seeing these new F1 cars. So we know sort of roughly the order that they're all going to come out in, except for Red Bull as we're recording. We're still not quite sure. Do I think maybe we might get some images ahead of ahead of uh, testing? Yeah, I think that. Think they've talked. Think some. I saw some Helmut Marco quotes appear saying they're likely to do something in that that middle of that week. I mean, they've got a massive run that goes from Ferrari all the way through um, to the launch of testing you know quite quite fast and ready now I think the days of spectacular launches you know everyone harks back to that famous Spice Girl one Spice Girls one with McLaren those are long gone now I think teams you know need more time to prepare the car a lot more work to do don't want to waste hundreds of thousands of pounds on spectacular launches so unfortunately it's less champagne and less nice lunches for us but you know as a, as a show you know I, I like launch season it's just good to the excitement that, that bubbles up and Finally, after weeks and weeks and weeks of nothing happening, 
season's underway. Well, that's very upsetting to hear because I only took this job on the promise of champagne lunches, which is a bit uh, a bit disappointing, <laughs> but there we go. So, um, before we start with Ferrari, uh, they are the first to launch on February the 11th. Now, quite an up and down season for them last year. Very strong, very fast car, lots of incidents, lots of things going wrong. So, Jake, I wonder if we could just uh, start with, uh, almost uh, conversely, what was good about last year's car and what does Ferrari need to keep going forwards? Well, what we know about last year's car, it had a phenomenal power unit in the back. Um, some thought maybe it was a little bit too good and there was a few FIA technical directives that obviously didn't flagrantly say this is to try and peg Ferrari back a bit, but it was really, let's be honest. Um, aerodynamically, the car was very, very good in a straight line. It had quite low drag characteristics, but the problem with that is when you have quite a low drag car, you don't have quite as much downforce as everybody else and so in the corners especially in the early part of the season uh, the drivers really really struggled Um, they kind of dialed it back a little bit by Singapore time they brought quite a few updates and suddenly the car over the curbs particularly looked so much better than it had previously and you know they kind of redressed the balance in their favour very briefly admittedly but after Belgium and Italy circuits they were expected to perform on Singapore, they were expected to do quite poorly, and no, it was a it was a one-two finish, if I remember correctly. So, Indeed. good aspects of the SF90, um, but there were quite a few problems. Obviously, we still get people saying, "Oh, but you predicted they'd be first this season," and admittedly, yeah, they looked fantastic in testing. But and I don't think we foresaw the step that Mercedes made in that final day of testing. So, obviously, we were caught with our pants down a little bit, but. It was a good car. Sorry, it's just... you were. I certainly, <laughs> I, I certainly wasn't. I wasn't involved at that point. Too busy getting Formula E predictions utterly wrong. So oh, I mean, I was, that camp as well. I wasn't going to mention that, but <laughs> I'm glad you did. But yeah, um, this year, yeah, there's a few changes technically that they need to make. Um, they had a good basis, but whether they can correct those weaknesses and not lose those strengths, that's going to be the key thing of this year. Now, John, on the sort of sporting and operational side become a little bit of a running joke that things are just going wrong far too often with Ferrari have we seen anything over the winter anything the team has said that they're particularly going to focus on fixing things I think I think this is part of the problem that happens in a Formula 1 team is you, you see a team that's close to close to the top uh, gets involved in races the race doesn't pan out in the best way they kind of make decisions that you know appear to cost them the race but it's the ultimate problem in Formula 1. If you don't have the quickest car, you've got to try and do something different to try and win races. So I think the the root of all the, the issues they've had, that you know, using team orders so openly to try and protect positions, all boil back to the fundamental problem is that Ferrari last year wasn't as quick as the Mercedes. Um, you know, they're fine. There were elements of the season where it was that Monza engine upgrade, <clears throat> you know, massive step forward. You know, the start of the year, they were lacking the downforce. End of the year, they were experimenting a bit more. Um, trying to work out if they put more downforce on, does it cost them the straight line speed, like that balancing act? Um, so I think if they can address the fundamental problem, which was their car wasn't quick enough, then I think the other problems always fall out, kind of disappear in that thing. Because when you've got the quickest car and you win a race, suddenly your strategy is perfect because you can't make the wrong strategy call. If you, it's, One thing Ross Braun said is that when you win the race, you never got the strategy wrong. Do we think that that technical directive, the controversy over the engine, is going gonna, is gonna to rumble on? I know from when we were publishing stories on autosport.com and you would have seen the same on motorsport.com, John, that that's very, people are very interested in what was going on there and whether there was potentially something you know, not being done correctly or, or whatnot. Not that there's any, anything at the moment to say that that definitely was happening. Um, is that story going to run and run into the new year? 
it's, it's an interesting one because there was clearly a clearly a big step forward from Ferrari at Monza, um, and I was shown GPS traces of you know Ferrari comparisons versus other teams' comparisons, for example. And you know there is a difference between how that car was in Melbourne, how that car was on the straights in Bahrain, how that car was in Austin. But you know into that mix, you've also got to throw the fact that you know in Austin. Charles Leclerc was running an old spec engine. They were experimenting a bit more with a higher downforce setting. So you never. But then, is the team saying this because that then justifies why their engine wasn't as quick in a straight line? So there's always many more factors than to say purely that their straight line speed advantage had gone. Therefore, they must have changed their engine. So you can't look on that basis. But they still did an awfully good job on the engine. You know, if it's if it is if they've had to change anything heading into this year and they're not as competitive. Then I'm sure that the issue won't go away. But it's interesting. I spoke to Mattia Bonotto at the end of last year and said to him, "Was he frustrated by the fact they were at the centre of all these controversies and rivals like you know Red Bull, Max Verstappen, fam- famously said, you know that's what happens when you get you're cheating, which didn't go down very well. Um, Ferrari took it very seriously. Mattia confronted Christian Horner in the paddock after Max said it to make clear he wasn't happy. But I think Mattia interestingly said exposed one of their weaknesses and their weaknesses was not dealing with paddock politics as well as some other teams they hadn't you know used it even used the media to try and get their message across and understand so I think like anything will you know Ferrari didn't claim much about the engine last year so people will have their perceptions of what happened and didn't happen and you won't be able to change it so it'll be interesting a to see if there is a change in power unit performance this year and b if the messages coming out of Maranello are slightly different. Yeah, perhaps slightly more devious if they're <laughs> going to slightly get all Game of Thrones on us. Um, but I think maybe, Jake, it's worth uh, reiterating at this point that if we look ahead to 2021 and the massive rule changes that are coming for, for the following season, probably best to guess that this is going to be a case of uh, evolution rather than revolution with, with, with most teams. But, I mean, Ferrari, why would you suddenly, um, or, or would you suddenly change your car massively to try and win this championship? Well, they've certainly got the resources to go for a wholesale change, but Obviously, there is a point to going all in and brand new for 2020, but this is basically almost a two-year rule cycle um, with regards to the aero changes and that kind of thing. And so, from my perspective, it doesn't make much sense to go with a full revolutionary car design. And it kind of depends again on whether Ferrari can make what they've got work with something maybe a little bit more high drag, a little bit more high, uh, a higher downforce level. So it kind of depends whether they can make the two things fit. If not, and they think, okay, this is the fastest thing we can do, and we're prepared to put in all of the resources available to make a new 2020 car, then I'm sure they'll do it. But as you say, 2021 is a big one. Um, most teams will be going for. Evo rather than Revo, I guess. Um, so minus points for using Revo. <laughs> on that level, I don't think there'll be too many points during launch season where, where we go, oh wow, where have they pulled that from? I hope we do, obviously. But um, yeah, I think the most prudent approach will be evolution. Now, moving on to a couple of other teams that are launching in the days after Ferrari, we're probably not going to get through all the teams uh, on this podcast just because. There's only so much you can say about about certain things, and as you say, Jake, it's probably uh, Revo, not Evo. No, the other way around. The other way around <laughs> uh, you confuse you just confuse me with your O's and your V's there. Um, so we're going to go on to uh, Renault and McLaren now because Renault is launching on February the twelfth, the day after Ferrari, and then McLaren on February thirteenth. Now, both of these squads very successful in the past, but uh, for the last couple of years have been focused on getting back to joining the battle at the front with the top three teams. 
But do we think they these two in particular will have more of an eye on 2021, perhaps shifting resources earlier, because they know they're not going to be in the championship fight from the off this year? I think an awful lot's going to be decided how teams perform in the first three, four races of the year. Because um, against this backdrop of we've got a big rule change for 21, you've also got a cost cap coming in for 21, but 2020 is unlimited spend. You know, you're trapped in this world that there's no point shifting you're not exactly shifting resources next year. You need to spend and do what's needed to be done in 2020. If you're, you know, you'll throw everything you can at um, improving your facilities, infrastructure, understanding lessons, staff, the whole lot this year. Because as soon as you hit 21, you're you're fairly limited. You know that's why McLaren, you know, building a new wind tunnel, mm-hmm. a new simulator. Ferrari have got a new simulator coming. Has have just, you know, got a new simulator up and running. You're going to see more and more of this investment going on this year. So I think if a team is has a sense of being able to do quite well in 2020 then they'll you know focus and push a bit more in terms of you know developing this car and taking it long but you know if you're a team with decent resources this ability to spend and you've had a pretty rubbish start to the year I think you'll quickly shift forward and think that's that's our big chance out of Renault and McLaren before you've seen the cars launched (laughs) which one do you think will, will, will finish the year ahead McLaren well first of all I think what we saw last year was Renault seems to be a team that technically chases its tail quite frequently. And what I mean by that is um, when they came out of 2018, they said, OK, we're going to produce an entirely new car for 2019. Um, clean sheet design. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of brand new parts. And they came out with the RS19. And I was when I first saw it, I was like, well, that looks incredibly similar. <laughs> In um, Obviously, they had the new wings on, but the tub looked incredibly similar obviously there are things that worked but it's like okay we've come up with this brand new design that looks very similar to the old one and they didn't really have this clear direction with what to do and so as a result they've sort of brought in new technical figures um i don't think they were particularly happy with the um the environment in the team um it, it started to get a bit stagnant because a lot of figures had been there since I don't know, the Lotus days where they weren't doing particularly well and were very, very underfunded. And they've brought in uh, Pat Ride to come in and head up the the chassis side of the operation. Uh, Ex-Ferrari and Williams aerodynamicist Dirk De Beer is in the team now. And although those are some good acquisitions and they're proven, we you're not going to see the sort of fruits of that labour until perhaps 2021. That's not going to be an immediate shift. Whereas McLaren... Last season, they really, really proved that, first of all, they can design a good car that can make the most of its engine. When they brought the Renault engine in, they were like, in 2018, and the car was terrible. I think that gave them a huge, huge wake-up call. Um, Because they were like, oh, we can't hide behind the excuse of a Honda engine anymore. We've got an actual proper engine that's proven, and we're not doing very well. Let's burn all of this to the ground and start again. Um so they've got that basis to work on um, and I think they'll continue doing that I think the last few years have been quite a chastening experience for them and they'll be keen not to do that again and on the driver's side as well both uh, Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris incredibly hungry very technically astute uh, whereas on the Renault side of course they've got continuity with Ricardo, but uh, Esteban Ocon is coming in uh, I'm sure he'll have a bit of Mercedes wisdom to share but um, I think Renault maybe a little bit far away at the moment but 
now that I've said that, watch me be incredibly wrong by the time all the cars roll out. Yeah, home, yeah. home <laughs> victory for Ricciardo in Australia. <laughs> I think, but I see similarities between what McLaren went through in 18 and 19, that they had a car uh, in 18 that had a fundamental aero flaw with it that they, you couldn't do anything with during the season. So all the work they were doing towards the second half of that year was all about the 19 car. So they understood what the problem was, but it didn't manifest itself on track. At the end of 18, you know, second slowest team on the grid and bang into 19. Renault had something fairly similar last year. The upgrade they bought to the French Grand Prix didn't work, but it gave them the answer that there was a, a concept problem with the car that they weren't going to cure during the season. So equally, they've done a lot of work in understanding it. So I think, you know, speaking to Daniel Ricciardi at the end of last year, he was really optimistic that the team had understood what had gone wrong, knew what was needed to address it. Uh, you know, progress on the Renault. The Renault engine made some steps last year. He's more fired up. I think Ocon is going to be really, really fired up to get in there and muscle in and do it. So I wouldn't discount Renault as such. And I think the fight between those two teams, especially with the same engine, I think want to be one of the more fascinating contests of the year. Mm. And do we think Ocon having a year out of racing is going to have much of an impact on his performances? You normally find with drivers, if they have two years out or three years out, they kind of they've lost the sharpness. Something something goes from their competitiveness. I think the, the demands of Formula One and the level of depth and work and understanding of tire dynamics and car dynamics and thing. You think you just lose it if you're away too long. But I think a year out actually sometimes brings a benefit to a driver in terms of you know kind of step back from their career a little bit, understand the working processes of what engineers go through, what teams go through. What is good feedback? What isn't good feedback? Um, understanding, being able to see, you know, here is sat in briefings and we've seen what Lewis Hamilton is telling the team, what he's asking the team, what the team are asking of him. So I think there's tangible benefits. He may not be, you know, he may lose a bit of race sharpness if you've not raced for 12 months. But I think in terms of that, that knowledge and that understanding, which is what you know, Lewis Hamilton opened up a lot on end of last year. He talked a lot. He, I went to a Gran Turismo event in Monaco and he was asked on stage by some of the gamers there about you know his skills and what he's doing in the car and his understanding he was fascinating the level of detail he's pushing the team the team are pushing him changes he's got to make to switches how he approaches practice all this sort of thing it's to think these drivers just jump in the car drive their laps and that's it it's not that at all this is you know 24 7 you know really 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 hard work if you're gonna lift the top and i think that's exactly what ocon will have understood last year mm. it's interesting you mentioned that because I um, I covered George Russell when he did uh, one GP3 back in 2017 and I've heard people say that he's used his time as a Mercedes junior to do exactly that to, to see how Lewis Hamilton operates and he's gone right well if that's how he's, he does it that's how I need to do it so obviously it's beneficial just to just to be embedded in a team even if you're not necessarily racing with them yeah I think the top drivers see it you know some drivers will have taken a, a year out and be put in that position and will have just kind of used it as a I'll swan around the paddock and I'll try and get my face around and show stuff and do all this and talk myself up. And other drivers, I think like George and Esteban, you know, this is an opportunity. This is something you'll never, you know, in theory should never get that again in his career to have a year out, be able to observe and listen and understand and be on the inside because all too often if you're out of F1 for a year and you're not in the paddock, you've got very, very little hope of kind of really understanding where these things are going. And no greater example than, than Lewis. I mean, if you're sat there observing what's going on in that interaction and what he needs from his engineers, the people around him, and exactly what level he's going to to, to reach those final limits, 
that's great. You know, I'd love to be able to sit in a debrief and watch, you know, watch what's being discussed and how they've been discussed. Because I'm sure there's stuff there that would shock all of us. Yes, yeah, yeah, I think it's very wise for, from their point of view that <laughs> they don't let the media in. Well, I'm sure, but I'm sure, I'm sure, sure, a lot of their conversations <laughs> go totally over my head as well. Yeah. But oh, it's definitely that, definitely that. Uh, now, speaking of Mercedes, uh, they're next up. They're one of the teams launching on February 14th, Valentine's Day. Um, now, with a lot of factors going into 2020. I'm working on a feature at the moment just asking is this the year finally that Mercedes could be toppled because we've got stable rules we've got a very strong Red Bull a very strong Ferrari if it can cure its uh, its problems operationally and drivers running into each other um, Lewis Hamilton we already know there's already been John you wrote a story today about Lewis Hamilton having to deny that there's contract issues going on between him and the team and also Mercedes is going to have to have its eyes on 2021 and as you say getting its resources in order and how much it's spending and things like that so it's got a lot to contend with at the moment. Do we think that's going to ultimately have a, have an impact on them? People always say that when a team's been on the top, there's only one way for them to go, and that's down. But that's not true at all, because if that was the case in you know 2014 to 15, Merck would have gone down. In 15 to 16, they would have gone down. Teams at the top can get better, uh, you know, not reach their peak. And I think we've seen... At Mercedes, I think you know under Toto Wolff, he's just managed to erase any complacency. Uh, he's worked a lot on you know staff mentality to make sure they're motivated, make sure they're pushing. And the reason they've been so dominant, and the reason they've won so much, you know, is because they've done a better job than anybody else. And if you're doing the better job than anybody else, and all those factors that make you the best don't change, then there's no reason why you shouldn't continue doing the the best job there's been no exodus massive exodus of staff um great continuity and stability there uh engine was still you know as good as anything apart from the ferrari in qualifying but as a race car uh the mercedes was the quickest race car last year ferrari was arguably quicker in qualifying uh lewis hamilton's still at his peak when i spoke to him uh we did an interview at the end of last year so he sees no signs of anything getting weaker or falling off the cliff having to work harder to to reach certain levels he's as motivated as ever I think he's also you know empowered by you know the rivalry of Charles Leclerc Max Verstappen that you know he now feels the elder statesman of Formula 1 almost and these young kids and it's his challenge to, to hold them off so I think he finds motivation um, so I see no reason why Mercedes you know will not hit the ground running and will again be fighting for the world championship at the very least and I guess a big plus point in their favour is looking back to 2016 going into 2017 when we had the massive changing rules that created the cars that we've got at the moment which team won at the end of that year Mercedes so there we go exactly I mean and even things like last year their their policy of bringing a, a basic car to the first test just to get the reliability running done and understand the basic concept before the full version was coming to test two fine it opened the door to a bit of concern on their side that maybe Ferrari had looked you know were still well ahead and the, the Mercedes was a tricky car to, to find on the limit it took you know Lewis several races to fully get on top of it especially in qualifying these are the kind of the wake up moments that the team needs if it's if it all been a cruise and all been easy and they hadn't lost any races you know it's a different mentality but there are days where they struggle and Toto Wolff's always been adamant that the, the days the best days the days that make Mercedes the best and strongest teams are the day it loses mm. Yes, exactly. Learn from what's gone wrong. Um, now, Jake, is there anything in particular you're expecting to see on the new Mercedes? Now, I don't know because, as we've discussed last season, they turned up with a beta car, and then week two was a completely different car. And 
Uh, I can remember Ben Anderson and I had to rush back to our Airbnb and film something on all of the parts because we didn't see that coming, basically. And I don't personally. I don't know at this point. Will they do the same again? Um, I imagine, largely speaking, it's going to be, again, an evolution of what they've got now and they'll be putting quite a lot of resource into 2021 and going for a fresh concept. What they need to work on is qualifying. We saw that a couple of times last year they were fallible in qualifying. Charles Leclerc was the man with the most pole positions by the end of the year. And although you do not ever win on a Saturday, um, at a few circuits it's ideal to have pole position. That is something that Toto Wolf will be gathering around everybody uh, in Brackley and Brixworth and saying that on a Saturday we're just not quite as good. Uh, what what can we do about that? How do we improve that? Um, Would you say that's more of a Brixworth thing, giving them more power, more of those sort of engine settings that can suddenly change the whole look of the grid from sort of FP2, FP3 into qualifying? Potentially. I think perhaps what took them by surprise was how much Ferrari had in reserve on a Saturday in terms of power. Um, which then they obviously had to turn down on a Sunday because their race pace was not nearly as good. But it's just, it's not really so much, oh, we need to get all of these pole positions because it makes us look good, but it's just more to kind of secure your result on a Sunday um, and give your stack the odds on, in your favour a little bit. I think that's a weakness they need to work on, um, obviously being aware that they can't take away and detract from all of their other good properties in their cars. And Lewis Hamilton is occasionally guilty of he gets the title wrapped up early and then he sort of switches off a little bit and he wakes up around Barcelona and Monaco time. He's like, oh, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm doing a Formula One season. Um, so he needs to hit the ground running because Ferrari and Red Bull, if the rules are stagnant and we expect them to make steps, then they'll they'll be there and... Mercedes don't want to be caught napping there. Do I do I do I read into the fact that you've read Mr. Fernando Alonso's interview with F1 Racing magazine this month, where he says Lewis has some weaknesses that no one's taken advantage of yet, and he says, well, he starts the season slowly. Is that something you agree with, then, Jake? I think so. I mean, he's been such a over the last four or five years, he has been the driver, but nobody is invulnerable. Nobody doesn't have a situation where they can't be beaten um, and we saw over the last process of the last season at the start of the season Valtteri Bottas was you know beaten Melbourne quite comprehensively and that was wasn't oh Lewis Hamilton had ex- he had a Flawed bit of a broken yeah, broken yeah. floor but that still doesn't you know entirely equate to you know being comprehensively beaten Um and there is that situation where if you continue to, to use a football metaphor, just sort of nip at his heels a little bit and sort of give him a little kick every now and again, it will all build up and it will spiral and eventually he'll become a little bit frustrated and then you can turn that into your favour. So I think from a psychological point of view, um, Lewis Hamilton can be beaten. Uh, it just depends if anybody wants to do what his teammate in 2016 did and go down that road and take it to a battle of wits rather than a battle on drag. Good. Well, you lost me completely at the football uh, analogy <laughs> there. Um, but now we're coming on to uh, the other of the big three teams, Red Bull. So far, we don't have a, a launch date, but um, what do we expect from this car? It's their second year with Honda Power, and is that going to be a big factor? I think the, the ball's very much in Red Bull's court this year. Um, you know, last year, no one really knew how the Honda relationship would 
pan out. You know, when they signed the deal, I think there was a lot of scepticism about why have they done it. They said this is going to be a massive step backwards. Honda had, at that point achieved virtually nothing in Formula One, but I think Honda were transformed really. Um, you know, podium in the first race, they took took several wins. You know, by the second half of the season, regularly fighting up there. Um, and more importantly, everything Honda said they were going to deliver, they did deliver, um, which has given Red Bull massive confidence now about what they say is coming for this year. I think Helmut Marko said good things have been promised on the power front. So from the Honda perspective, I think everything's there from the power thing. The key now is Red Bull, and Red Bull's a little bit um, like a team version of Lewis Hamilton in some <laughs> respects that often starts the season quite slow. Um, last year they were hobbled a bit by the front wing regulation changes. It didn't suit the concept that you know they were pushing down. Um, it took them, I think, until Austria to really kind of understand and get the, the balance and feel with the car. And the Rebel was a tricky car. Mm. Um, I think that's one of the factors Pierre Gasly struggled so much. He had the crashes in pre-season testing. Never really got to grips with it. You know, at times, you know, Red Bull got a bit lost um, with where it was going. Singapore was a classic example, just lost on setup, trying to get the best out of it. Performance wasn't as good. So I think they need. They know that they need to, you know, hit the ground running this season. Um, they've got the engine. They now need the chassis, and they need to be, you know, charging and up there all the time if they're going to fight for this world championship. Mm. I think what's one of the most interesting bits of looking back at last season is, okay, if you take Mercedes being strong as it was across the board, was that Ferrari and Red Bull peaked at different times and there never seemed to be a genuine three-way, we're all on song sort of fight. So that's obviously what we want to see in Australia, right? A very exciting Australian Grand Prix where all three teams are in contention. Yeah, although I think the second half, second half of the season, you, you know, you'd go to races, you know, think of Mexico, even Singapore, um, you weren't really sure if it would be a Mercedes or a Ferrari or a Red Bull track, and that's, you know, that's what we want in Formula One. People complain, oh, the top three teams are dominant and disappearing, but to have three teams, you know, genuinely up there, all capable of winning, um, never really sure heading into an event which one's going to come out on top. You can have your theories, and especially the way the engine rules are now, that the way they turn it up in Q3, you could never even be read on Friday or Saturday morning what's going to happen. So I thought second half of last year was was fantastic from a race perspective even if the championship was pretty much nailed from the Spanish Grand Prix onwards mm. And Jake what do you think Red Bull needs to do with its 2020 car to make sure it is in that position early on? Well John's already spoken about the front wing and we've seen in Brazil the, and we've seen this from a number of teams actually over the the final dying practice sessions of the season is that they're sort of trialling parts for 2020 and a lot of them are going for this Ferrari style front wing with the um, sort of big outwash to borrow that word again which I'm known for saying um, components the sort of outsides of the wing so they use the internal part for the majority of its downforce and then the outside they sort of taper it down so that it can produce that outwash that that everybody's after to try and protect the floor a little bit so I think that they'll be going for that I imagine most teams will be going for that kind of design um it seemed to be the the design that everybody gravitated towards by the end of last season. Um, what they need, um, again, even though we know that Honda has really upped its game, there are still concerns about on the reliability front. They still and they're still well, they, caught. But they only had one failure last year. All the upgrades, generally, and grid plans were to bring updates and that's true. Run through stuff. So I think that's one of the big. Changes. No, Helmut Marco mentioned it that 
reliability-wise, from the days of burning through an engine in a practice session, I think reliability-wise, actually. But in bringing those updates, because they did it sort of quite early, you don't know entirely whether it can survive the six, seven race cycle on its own, maybe? I I don't know if that's fair to say. (laughs) But... um, yeah, um, everything just needs to come together now. Um, again, it was a bit of a... Tra- we expected a transition season. Rebel probably tr- expects a transition season. Um, Honda has done spectacularly well to sort of... If you compare that with 2015 and their awful, awful pre-season testing and, well, year, really. Um, there, oh, the ingredients are there. Um, and with a relatively stagnant rule set, they, they do have probably their best opportunity in years, I'd say. Mm. And John, looking at the the news that came out over the winter break about Max getting a new long-term contract at Red Bull, um, that keeps the sort of the number one sort of side of the uh, of the lineup pretty stable. Is that going to be an important factor for Red Bull? And does that does that put more focus on Alexander Albon and other you know junior drivers like you know the, the Toro Rosso drivers, Kvyat and Gasly, or is that will that just carry on as it always has been? I think if you're a top line team. Uh, in Formula 1 fighting at the very front what you don't want is kind of two alpha males so to speak in the team um, you know the points are going to get shared around quite a bit you don't really want two guys doing what Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel did in Brazil last year colliding with each other causing trouble causing headaches um, you know look at all the championship successes that we've had you know in Formula 1 over the years from <clears throat> uh, Vettel Schumacher Alonso you know they weren't up against a you know A one class teammate, so teams are quite comfortable to have a superstar and then whoever else is in the the second seat. But they want that second seat to be quick enough to finish second all the time and win on the win occasionally. So I think they're they're quite comfortable. They've got Max under contract, and especially the way Pierre Gasly turned things around from being that you know the broken man in the Hungarian Grand Prix where the performance had cost them the win because they didn't have the the pit window or they had the, the pit window allowed Lewis to. Um, stop and beat Max. So this, you know, how broken he was after that race to the joy of Brazil when he took that sensational podium finish and you know turned his career around, even surprised Helmut Marco. Um, so I think they've got various options there, and I think Alex, you know, is a brilliant racer. You know, straight into that car to have done what he done, do what he did, to have outscored Max over that period, and Max had a few wobbles at first corners and first lap instance um, was great. He just needs to lift his qualifying game. I think it's something you can do over the winter. Same problem Charles Leclerc had in his first year, just trying to understand where the the peak is on these tyres can be quite tricky, and it's not something you can practice on a regular Grand Prix weekend. There's very few times you're on low fuel, full engine settings on the tyre, trying to find that peak performance. So I think if Alex can improve the qualifying performance, then he'll be up there and deliver results like we saw in, not results like Brazil, but um, potential like we saw in Brazil when, you know, run that race again he could well have won if he'd overtaken Max that safety car exactly or exactly. well, certainly at least got the podium yeah, oh, yeah. I mean it was a, it was a sure on sure on podium just so so sad for him really that that happened completely completely now the final the final team um, car new car new launch we're going to talk about on this podcast is uh, is Williams obviously comfortably at the back of the field last season so that must mean has the most progress to make with its potential new car so Jake were there any signs particularly towards the end of last season about what they were developing for this year that all help it get out of the grid well again there was the the switch to that kind of particular design of front wing which they'd brought uh in japan um which they brought as a test item in japan actually um 
and they had a bit of a hoo-ha with uh, Robert Kubica in, in that Kubica thought that he was promised that wing to race with, promptly shunted it in qualifying, blamed the team for not giving him that wing, but as far as I understood it, that was never meant to be raced. They only had one one copy. He did get it next time out when Williams brought two. I know that that car will be, again, evolution rather than revolution, um, largely down to resource and largely because they kind of designed it with a two-year cycle in mind, um, anticipating that 2021 rule change. Um, there, there, but if that is the case, there is a lot to a lot to dig out of that car because it wasn't good last year. It was heavy. It was draggy. Uh, it had very little going for it. Um, there needs to be a lot of change under the skin to to make it more to make it more drivable um, in particular because it looks incredibly unsettled in the corners but they've got the right driver for that they've got George Russell who is incredibly astute he he works hard and he expects everybody around him to work hard I remember back in the bad old days when I worked in Formula 2 he'd keep his ART engineers up very very late because he'd go no we're not leaving until we've gone through all of this data and I imagine he's cracking the whip in exactly the same manner at Williams um and there should be less tension as well because um, Latifi joins and he's quite he's a lot more of a jovial chap let's say than, than Kubica ever was so there's there's reason to be there's reason to be optimistic and it can't really be any worse than last year oh no certainly not but um, at least there was some, some interesting and positive news coming out of Williams at the start of uh, last week was uh, the, the new hires that they've made to, to bolster into their technical department. We've got David Warner, who's going to be chief designer, has come across from Red Bull. And Jonathan Carter, who is previously the head of composite design at Renault, is going to be the chief, uh, sorry, the deputy chief designer and head of design. So, John, what do you make of those appointments? Yeah, I think that thing is just, Williams just needs to produce a sensible car. I think last year was so out of kilter with what was needed in Formula 1 as all the you know, mess around being late for the test. You know, Paddy Lowe, him leaving the team... Um, so that was as low as it could get for the team. It's going to be very hard to make, once you're into the year in the situation they're in, it's very hard to turn that situation around. Uh, I think trying to do a revolution for this year and trying to go after big names isn't realistic. So sensible appointments. Um, I think they've done a, you know, kind of a re, not a restructuring, but reanalysis of processes, making sure that they don't make the same mistakes they made last year. And, you know, we're not expecting them to suddenly go from well off the back of the grid to be fighting up there and nudging the top three teams. But I think if they can make sensible steps with sensible decisions, with sensible staff appointments like this, then we can at least see them, you know, nudging up at least the back of the grid and then they can make progress from there. Mm, I think that would be a, a good story everyone would like to see in Formula One this season, but we, we shall see what happens. Uh, now, Jake, one of my final duties as Autosports Plus editor was to schedule uh, a feature that's going to come out on autosport.com and motorsport.com time <laughs> later this week, which is, if I understood your pitch correctly, everyone in Formula One should take 2020 off and go to Glastonbury. Not quite. It was oh. based on Glastonbury. Do, in... do explain, and then John will tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> okay. Basically, it takes on the premise of every five or six years or so um they haven't been so good at it lately but glastonbury usually takes a fallow year to keep you know let the grass at worthy farm grow give them a little more time to secure big name acts rather than waiting for tour schedules and things like that and you know naturally as one does in this situation thought 
maybe Formula One should get in on that action. Everybody's very, very excited about 2021. Um, it's an entirely new world for Formula One, and we're not going to have seen a technical change like it uh, in our lifetimes. Um, but there is still this sticking point of, oh, yeah, we've got another year of this rule set to go. We've got 2020, and I feel like a lot of people aren't very excited about it. Why not take it off? Because I think 2020 is going to be a fantastic season. I'm actually more excited by the competitive potential of 2020. I think the way that Red Bull closed up at the end of last year, Ferrari-Mercedes rivalry, we've got genuinely three teams now. You can't say one of those is clear favourite to win. If we can have a repeat of the races we saw in the second half of last year where five, six of those, all six of those drivers are gunning for victories and that goes on all season for a championship, it can be an epic campaign. And 2021, while you know there is some excitement about we've got a new rule change and the cost cap, I think 21, we're going to leave Melbourne in 21 a bit disappointed because the way the cost cap works with all the spending this year, the way the top teams have such a resource advantage, I think we're going to have an even bigger gap between the top three uh, and the rest of the grid at the start of 2021. I think the impact of cost cap is going to take two or three years to come in and when you get a new rule cycle and such a big change like that it's often one team is well clear of the rivals because they found something and convergence takes place over time so I think actually Glastonbury should take place this year <laughs> uh, and then they should maybe wait a little bit with the regulations yeah I think I think we'll end up saying at the time when we're looking ahead to next year give it a couple of years and let's hope F1 doesn't make too many knee-jerk decisions because as you say on a sensible note uh, it will probably be there will be large gaps and whether the racing will be good or not um, that remains to be seen but there's there's reasons to be excited and reasons to uh, reasons to be less excited okay and to put you on the spot again if you had to pick one Formula 1 team to headline Glastonbury which one would it be and why oh, can I pick a couple of drivers to do it I of think course, yeah. I reckon stick Daniel Ricciardo up there you were, yeah Max Verstappen, they can play off of each other, have a little bit of banter, um, and uh, we'll stick Nicholas Latifi up there. <laughs> Hopefully that can be arranged, I'm sure we'll see. Well, yeah, thank you guys for joining us for this, uh, this episode of, uh, of the Autosport Podcast. We look forward to next week and seeing all the launches and everything that uh, the teams have bought ahead of testing. So do check out autosport.com and motorsport.com for all the news ahead of, ahead of the launches, and we'll have we've got a big plan coming up for what we're going to do for covering each team in depth, technical analysis of, the, of each car. Thank you very much for joining us and we'll look forward to seeing you next time on the next edition of the Autosport Podcast. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.